Diana and I have been waiting for this since January 1. And we... Thank you, Mark, team, musicians, you all. We've been waiting for a Sherwood hug. I'm telling you, we really have. And thank you for putting up with the, uh, with the online preaching. And uh, I appreciate also the online touches from you folks during those days. We were blessed. But, sweetheart, to be here is, is better, right? And uh, we are so grateful to be in Albany and grateful to be at Sherwood Baptist Church. We prayed for you. We love you. Love Pastor Michael Catt. I, I was telling somebody earlier today, I think he's one of the dearest friends I have in all of the world. And I am, uh, I'm, well, I just love him. He and Terry. And I love the fact that you all are praying for them the way you pray for them. Um, that means so much at a moment like this in your life. Life is, as we're going to discover here in the next few minutes, it's not, a, it's not a dance where you do a lot of moves and end up in the same room. It's a journey. And at this stage of their journey, well, I want to thank you on their behalf for, for your prayers. Diana and I pray for Michael and Terry every day. In fact, we have a lot of people. You can imagine with uh, 33 grand... Oh, yeah, we have six kids, too, but they don't count. But with six kids, 33 grandkids, and soon to be 12 great-grandkids. Um, and that's just for starters. We do, uh, we do a lot of praying when we sit down to pray every day. We pray for you all, but we especially pray for your pastor and for Terry. And that, because we know we're joining with you when we do that. Tonight... Uh, I'm going to be uh, speaking on the uh, last of the six uh, verses that we've been studying in the book of Philippians chapter 4 under the theme, Steady in Your Storm. So if you have a storm going on in your life, I would encourage you to be here. Well, tonight's going to be a special night. By the way, the choir, this is the first time the choir is going to come back and they're going to be singing tonight. So... Um, that is going to make a pretty special evening. We're going to have a great time, and you'll, you'll want to be here, uh, be here for that. I, I don't like to take a lot of time before I preach because i got my message on my heart and on my mind, but I have to tell you this. I hope that you are as excited and as engaged about Meet the Need as Diane and I are. Uh, we... Uh, we couldn't wait to get here to, uh, to bring our Meet the Need offering. Honestly, well, I mean, we had to wait, but we, we were so eager to get here. And uh, so I just want to say to the security guards that I gave my offering to Jim McGuire wherever he has run off. Oh, yeah, Jim, you're right down here. So keep your eye on him, please. Um, he, he's sitting down here with a big Cheshire cat smile on his face. But uh, uh, I hope you're participating like we are. I honestly... Uh, when you see testimonies like uh, this pastor in Quebec City, I mean, how can you not want to be a part of reaching the world and meeting the needs? So I hope you'll make your pledge. I hope you'll give your gift, and I hope you won't quit, all right? Now, that said, open your Bible, Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16. I, I love this psalm. Let me give you a little background before we uh, press forward with it. 
this, this psalm is, um, you see up there a little subscript under the chapter heading. It's called a miktam. It's an unusual word, isn't it? Some people pronounce it miktam. Um, but, and some people call them the golden psalms. Uh, they come in clusters. This is one of a cluster. And they're some of the most often uh, quoted psalms in the New Testament when it comes to speaking about the atonement, about Christ, crucifixion, and resurrection. For instance, we're going to read a verse in a few moments where he says, you won't suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Well, that is quoted in the New Testament uh, as an Old Testament reference to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the important thing for this morning to understand about this psalm is that it most likely was written by David during one of the, the brief times of respite early in his life, during those, those years when he was hounded, when he was hunted down by Saul, by King Saul. And you remember that Saul would mount on occasions his entire army. He would do everything he could to find David. He was like a, like a flea. In, in the wilderness, he, uh, uh, Saul, could, it, it drove him absolutely jealously insane uh, that he could not find David because he knew God had anointed David to be the king, and God had taken his blessing off of Saul for some specific reasons. I, mean, I don't need to go into that, that whole study, but his, his faithlessness and jealousy... Um, God, because Saul would not keep the covenant. I mean, he, he literally took his blessing off of him and he had David in the wings to be the king. Saul hated him and he hounded him. And most of the time, David was on the run. I mean, when you read about it, you get breathless thinking about it. But sometimes he would, he would be hidden away and he would have time to take a deep breath and sort of collect his thoughts. And it was during those times that he most likely wrote psalms like the one that we're going to read here. So now the, the theme, the message this morning is about how to settle down when you're shaken up. Anybody here shaken up? You know, th th that is a phrase that could almost describe our current era, right? Everybody's just sort of shaken up, you know? You don't, not really sure about the future, not really sure about how things are going to go, not really sure you like this or you like that, and not really sure whether you feel good about this or bad about that. You're just not really sure. And people, I, I notice even in worship services, and I'm not going to point anybody out here, this morning, but I, I noticed people sitting with furrowed brows. What did I do? I mean, I just flew down here to preach. And, and it's almost if, if you listened to the news last night, and so you decided, I've got these things to worry about internationally and nationally and locally, and Brother Tom, you don't know it personally, so that's why I look like I do. I'm, I, I'm, I'm shook up. I'm just, I'm shaking. Well, uh, you, you may not be quite that bad, but unrest 
is as much a part of the pandemic as anything else. Uncertainty. Where, when, how is this all? And, and, and Diana and I, you know, we have reasons. We, 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 we pray about children who are in the Mideast and children who are in Southeast Asia and children scattered across the country sharing the gospel as well. And some of you may have personal issues that really eclipse what's happening internationally or nationally or locally. I mean, you've got your own issues. I have said many times you can't be happier than your saddest child. So you may have a child that's going through something and that's got your attention. You're just focused on that right now. So it could be your marriage or your, maybe you got a report in a, in a, in a crowd this size. It would be very, very unlikely that, um, there wouldn't be somebody who this week had someone give you some bad news, uh, probably physically. Well, this is, this is what the future looks like for you. Or this is what you're going to have to do or take, or whatever the treatment is. This, this is how this is going to play out. And so some of you are that way about jobs. You're not sure about your, your, your position, your, your job right now, or your marriage. That would be awful, but I would expect that there are people here this morning who are really not certain about that. It's sad, but it's true. So how do you settle down? How can you do like David have to do, had to do? <sighs> and recover your thoughts, collect your thoughts, and, and, and begin to reflect again upon the goodness of God. How do you how do you do that? Well, look with me in Psalm 16. I don't intend to read the entire Psalm, but um, just to put it in perspective, look with me at verse 8. I have set the Lord continually before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. It's that, that verse that gave me the title for this message, in fact. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, this is quoted in the New Testament, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now, here is, here is the verse we're going to put under the microscope this morning. This is the verse we're going to study. For you will make known to me the path of life. So there he's talking about a path. In your presence is fullness of joy. There he's talking about a place in God's presence. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. There you're talking about a position. So we're going to ask a question about each of those things in the next few moments and let this verse just fall open for us, all right? Like a flower would open up and we look at each of the petals. That's what we're going to do with this verse. And don't, don't miss the point. The point is how to settle down when you're shaken up. And so I want to encourage you to ask these three questions based on what we read in verse 11. Ready? Question number one. Am I on the right path? He said, for you will make known to me the path of life. You're on a path. It's going to end someplace. Like I said before, you're not in a room at a dance. You're on a journey. 
And this is going to end someplace. Where will it end? If you know Christ and know that you know him and have his forgiveness and eternal life, ultimately it's going to end in heaven. But what about this path? Are you on the right path? Are you headed in the right direction right now? When um, uh, early on in our ministry, back in the early to mid-70s, that's for the uninitiated, that was another century ago. Well, another in another century. Um, not quite another century ago. But I, I, I participated very actively because I, I happened to, at that time, have known Dr. Bright. He came to our college campus when I was a, a student. He was from Oklahoma. We had him come speak later on in our church. But he founded this ministry called Campus Crusade. Crew now, no secret, one of the largest Christian ministries on the planet. And one of the things that he did won't catch you by surprise, I don't think, because I would imagine almost every one of us has seen one little track that says the four spiritual laws. And over the years, millions, ostensibly millions of people have come to know Christ uh, through the ministry of that little track, that amazing, those little pages used to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first spiritual law he had in that is this, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, that's a fact. God loves you. He does have a wonderful plan for your life. He doesn't love what we do, any of us. We are all sinners. We are all separated from God. The wages of that sin is death. There are people who would want you to believe otherwise, but law number one was that God has a wonderful plan for your life. He does. Are you, are you on the path to fulfilling that plan? Are, are, can you say right now, my energies, my, my intellect, my focus is in following God on a path that I know he has laid out for me. You say, well, can you really know that? Yes. Look at what the scripture says. You will make known to me the path of life. That's what it says here. The, the, the path of life. I mean, if you just take just that sentence apart, he says, it's what? It's factual. There's such a thing as a path of life. It's findable. You'll make known it to me. It's followable. That's, it's a path. I can do that. And it's fulfilling. It's the, path, it's the path of life that leads to eternal life. But more than that, my path as I make my way toward heaven, the way that I live today, what I do, you say, does God really care about that? Yes, he does. He cares about what you're doing. He cares about the way you're living. I've had any number of people tell me, well, I took this job or I did that. And, and what they are doing is killing them, killing their marriage, killing their relationship with their children, is, is, is slaughtering them morally. And they will tell you, well, I, but it's a good job. No, it's not. God has a path for you in life. And he wants you to walk along that path. You, you can do that. Because he makes known to you the path of life. So the question is this, am I on the right path? Right now, where you're headed, what you're doing, what you're going to get up 
and get dressed for in the morning. Is that God's path for your life? Or just, is it just something you picked out? Something that was just handed to you. And you say, well, there's nothing else going on. I think I'll just do this right now. Is that, is that God's path for your life? I've said here in this very, uh, in this very room before that I have, here, here's a, a, a key. And this key is made to fit in the ignition of that Nissan across that you all have, have, have loaned to us for a few days. I can do a lot of things with this key. It's got a little personality, by the way. It's hard, sharp. It's got edges, little serrated edges, grooves. I can scratch my head with this key. I've done that with keys before. Have you? I can poke a hole in a piece of paper, open a paint can. I won't with this one. It'll break. You know, that doesn't do a key very good. I can do a lot of things with it. But there's one place where this really fits. It's in that ignition perfectly. If I do anything else with it, it damages the key. And that's just like your life. You're just made to fit. You're just made by God to fulfill a wonderful plan he has for your life. He has a path for you. And you can do other stuff. You go ahead. But it's going to be like a key opening a paint can. You're going to damage the can and damage the key. And you get damaged and your life gets damaged and your marriage and your future is all changed. God says, look, I've got a plan for you, a path. You will make known to me the path of life. You're shaken up? Ask the question, am I on the right path? Am I on the right path? Second question. This is real easy. This is, you know, we're, we're, this is basically, um, Scripture is not complicated. It's hard because the truths buck against our natural sinful tendencies. But hard and complicated are two different things. Sometimes the most simple things are hard. So am I on the right path? Ask yourself that question. Question number two, am I at the right place? What place are we talking about? We're talking about the presence of the Lord in God's presence. We've had this wonderful time of worship. Actually, I consider the worship service to start with the first uh, you know, whatever happens and goes all the way to the last amen. I think the whole thing is a worship service. Um, but we had this wonderful time of worship. You said, oh, yes, I like to sing that. I like to worship. Well, let, let, me, just, let me just clue you in. If there is anything in your life you have not given to God, it was impossible for you to worship him. Because worship means you surrender everything to him. So if you come to church, you might have sung the songs without worshiping. That doesn't mean you make you a worshiper to sing a song. Jesus quoted Isaiah saying, these people come near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So singing the song doesn't make you a worshiper. I love to sing the songs, but worship is what happens when you totally surrender before him. And that is when you are in, in a sense, his presence. Yes, everything you do, he sees all the time. But you are in his 
presence. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. The psalmist says, did you worship this morning or did you, did you come saying, Lord, I'm going to sing those songs because I really like those, but now you know about this habit. That's my habit. You know what I like to watch, where I like to go. You know the thoughts I like to have. I've got these little walled off places in my life. You can't have those. Well, then you can't worship. Worship means surrender. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. You're shook up. Would you like, instead of being shook up, to have fullness of joy? Get where? In the right place. Where is the right place? In his presence. When, when Moses was asked by God to go up on Mount Sinai in order to receive the Ten Commandments, he, in the minds of the children of Israel, he overextended his stay. There's always people so eager to get out of the box that God has programmed. You know, they, I want to do something... So he was gone. So they decided, you remember what happened? They decided Aaron and, and the, his henchmen, they made a golden calf and all the people were thrilled. Now we got us a God. Moses is gone. And they began to worship God. And so God stopped dealing with, with Moses and said, I can't go any further. But Moses said, what is this? And he went down the mountain. It sounded to him like a riot. And he saw what the people were doing in drunkenness and debauchery. And he threw the tablets down in a fit of anger, which he had to pay for. The next time around, the tablets were, were his job. This time they were written with a finger of God. The next time around, it was a little effort on Moses' part. But he waited, he got into the camp and saw what they were doing. He ground up the calf, remember, poured the, the gold into the water, made everybody drink. It, it was a bad scene. And uh, Moses then said, I'm going to go see if I can keep us from all dying right here in the wilderness. So he went back up on the mountain and began to intercede for the people. And he said, look, you know, you promised you should take us to the, to the land, the land of promise. You, you said you'd take care of us in the wilderness. You said you'd protect us. And uh, God, I'm asking you to do that. And, and God said, I'll do that. I'll take you to, to the land of promise. I'll protect you and I'll provide for you on the journey. But, he said, I won't be with you. See, you can't worship me. There's something in your heart that's against me, and I won't be with you. My presence will not go with you, he said. Chapter 32, verse 33. My presence will not go with you. And that was devastating to Moses. He said, if your presence go not with us, then carry us not up from here, for wherein shall it be known that I and these people are yours? Is it not in that you are with us? That's everything, is, in, is God with us? There's seven prayers that I like to pray every day. Very simple prayers. But the first is this. I pray that God throughout the day will give me a looming sense of his presence an awareness that I am living out this day before him 
So, so ask yourself this question. Am I in the right place? That is, can I say right now that I am in, not just acknowledged by God, but that I'm living, basking in the presence of the Lord? Am I on the right path? If you're shaken up, just stop for a minute, ask yourself, okay, now wait a minute, why am I, why am I so shaken up? Why am I... Why am I got my hands on the steering wheel of this car going to work and angry and nobody did anything yet? I'm just angry. Why? I don't know. I just am. It's just, it's because you reviewed everybody's problems around the globe last night on the news and you got up this morning and you gulped it down while you were eating breakfast. You're so up to date on everybody's problems. Well, wait, let's just, can you say am I on the right path? Am I at the right place in the presence of the Lord? Question number three, am I in the right position? Am I in the right position? Notice what he says here. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I wish... I had the time this morning. This would be delicious. I mean, I, I would really enjoy doing this. I wish I had the time to talk to you globally about the significance in the Scripture of the right hand. It's, it, is so, it is so interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's the hand of authority, right? Even in our own society. It's bled over in our own society. My son swore into the Navy recently as a chaplain. He raised his right hand. It's a symbol of authority. It, 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 it is recognition of authority. When, when Rachel was giving birth, you remember this? On that, that trip where she died in childbirth, and, and she said, call that boy Benoni, which is uh, son of my sorrows. And Jacob said, no, he'd be Benjamin, son of my right hand. He represents me. So, so uh, the right hand represents authority. The right hand represents uh, acceptance. I mean, I, w I won't give you a complete list here, but it represents acceptance. Um, when, when Paul and Barnabas, after a mission trip, came back to report to the, uh, uh, to the, the big dogs in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and John, about what had happened on the trip, um, we read in Galatians chapter 2 that uh, after that happened, they extended to them the right hand of fellowship. And you've heard that phrase used, let's give them the right hand of Christian fellowship. It's acceptance. It's affection to be at someone's right hand. It's, it, it symbols not affection and accomplishment, you know, Jesus, we read in Hebrews, was seated at the right hand of the throne of God when he was finished with his, his atoning work. Affection, love, my right hand. And then because of that, it also represents availability when someone's at my right hand. What do we say about someone who, um, who, uh, who in effect, let's say that we have a, a, a general 
and he has someone next to him who, who has his authority, who represents him fully, what, what, what do we say about it? He's my right-hand man. This is my right-hand man. I've heard men sin. They've come out to my house. Well, I, I'm sorry I couldn't come and fix that, but I've sent my right-hand man. What he's saying is this guy is as good as me. He represents me. He has my endorsement. If you trust me, trust him. He's as good as me. He's my right-hand man. He's available. Anytime I need him, call him. Or in, I'll call him. Or anytime you need him, you call him. He's my right-hand man. I went to, uh, and, I, and I'm going to tell you something that I think is, is wonderful. This is part of what I tell people around the world is is in the fabric, the DNA of Sherwood Baptist Church, okay? And I'm, I, I say this unashamedly. I went to a funeral this week. I was asked to be a part of it along with another friend of mine to do this funeral. It was a funeral this past week of a, uh, a 90-year-old lady. And she... Uh, um, her husband was Brigadier General in the Air Force, had passed away some years earlier. I had the privilege of being their pastor. In fact, both of us had the privilege of being their pastor at a church in, in Tulsa many, many years ago. And so there she was. Well, there she wasn't. That was just her earthly remains. She was, she was with the, the Lord. Um, as they say, never mind. It's a cute poem, though. Ask me about it after church. It's not worthy of the message. So, anyway, the last part of it says, but peas ain't peas, but just the pod, because peas shelled out and went to God. Never mind, I'm, I'll just... So she wasn't there. Wonderful funeral. One, well, it was just wonderful. And I rode over with a friend of mine, you know, and, and his wife, and we talked about, you know, everything that old people talk about. So... I stood up to speak at this funeral, and um, here he had been a part of that, and, and we have worked together, in fact, on two different church staffs, but we worked together since high school. I love it. Trust it. I look out in the congregation and in the crowd, I counted several other staff members that I had, in fact, collectively, I made a mental note that we had worked together, you know, over 140 or 50 years just of friendship among us. And the reason that we were privileged to be in a church where it was touched of God as your church is touched of God is that there's a sense in which each of us considered the other, considered ourselves as being the other's right-hand man. We all just were God's right-hand men, and we just wanted to be right-hand men for the other people. And so then it began to filter out in the church as it has at Sherwood that everybody feels like they're everybody else's right-hand man. No matter what time, no matter when, no matter where, no matter what I'm asked to do, if it's a need, then... I'm there. I'm there. I'm your right-hand man. 
You know why all, I, I got to thinking about this, you know why all of us, here we are in, this, in the middle of all this mess, here we are in a room, and this lady's lifeless body in the casket, she's with the Lord. Why are we all there? What was it, what was the magnet that drew us all there? Because she had determined to be God's right-hand woman. She had given her life to the Lord and said, Lord, whatever you want. She and her husband had five children. One of his fellow pilots died and left five children. They adopted those five children. Later on, they adopted three more children from Vietnam. I mean, the, 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 she determined, if I can't go to the mission fields, I'll bring it here. Just be God's, right, in, in his right hand. It's not just work, it's pleasures forevermore. Ask yourself, you get the right position? Could you say right now, I'm at God's right hand. I'm right there. Lord, you, breathe, you say the word, you whisper, I can hear. Just say it, I want to I be there for you. Am I on the right path? Am I at the right place? Am I in the right position? I'll guarantee you, if you can say yes to each of those three questions, you won't have to worry about being settled down in a world that's shaken up. No, sir. You with your calm, Christ-like spirit, will shine like a bright star against a dark horizon of chaos in this world today. You can settle down. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, as we come before you right now, our prayer is that your Holy Spirit would just move in in an even greater fashion, bring conviction to our hearts, to our lives. Lord, this is a time of decision. I pray everyone in this room would decide, yes, I want to, I want to live that way. I want to walk calmly in the midst of chaos. I want to, I want to settle down in a world that is shaken up in so many ways. So sometime in the next hours or days, I'm going to seriously just sit down and ask those three questions. If you do that, would you just stand where you are with your head bowed, eyes closed? Yes, sometime in the next few days or hours, I'm going to seriously ask those three questions. I want to walk calmly in the midst of all this chaos. Would you stand if you'd say that? That's what I want. Yes, amen. Amen. All over the auditorium. God bless you. That's, that's what I want to do. That's what I will do. That's what I will do. There's no sense in being frantic and frenetic. I, I want to walk calmly. I want to settle down. I want to be seen as a haven for people who are troubled instead of just adding more to their trouble by the way that I talk and the news that I bring to their life. I want to walk calmly in the midst of chaos. I'm going to ask our men to stand here at the front. 
and we, we fully respect the kind of atmosphere in which we live right now. But yet, if you cannot say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know Christ and I am on a path that will end in heaven, I want to encourage you just to come, just say a word to one of these men. Just say, I need to be on the right path. I need to be on the right path. Pray for me. They will. You can leave here knowing Christ and knowing you're on the right path. I, I wouldn't even want to think about living in this crazy world without having a tight church family I could call my own. And if you're not a member of this church and God is leading you here, come tell one of these men here at the front. I, I want to join. We want to join this church. They're not going to abuse any of the distance rules or anything like that. You'll see they all have their mask on. and Just speak a word to them. I'm going to ask Mark and the team just to sing quietly for a minute before Garrett comes. If you have some other need, tell them about that. There's a connection desk out in the uh, out in the foyer as well that Garrett will tell you about. But this is your moment to decide to say yes. Let's all stand together quietly, Father. I pray that in these few moments you'll find us eager to embrace your will, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.